Gresham College presents Leading at the Top, Part One, Introduction, by Professor Michael Minelli, Emeritus Gresham Professor of Commerce. Good afternoon, and welcome to Gresham College. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Michael Minelli. I'm a trustee, a fellow, and one of the emeritus professors here. And it's my pleasure to welcome you to this afternoon's symposium, Leading at the Top, Power and Politics. As many of you know, we've run a number of these symposia over the years, and they tend to be uh, really quite fun because it's a, a genuine opportunity for the audience to participate. And so I'm expecting you all to stay very alert because, because we have a one-hour slot, which is really yours. So we'll leave it to you. Leadership. Leadership has been defined as a process of social influence in which one person can enlist the aid and support of others in the accomplishment of a common task. Sounds great, uh, but one of my favorite lampoons of leadership is Roger McGuff's 1937 poem, I want to be the leader, I want to be the leader. Can I be the leader? Can I? Can I? Promise? Promise? Yippee, I'm the leader. I'm the leader. Okay, what shall we do? We live in an age of leadership. I recall vividly being asked in the 1970s to go on a leadership development course in my teens. Since then, we've had chairs and institutes, courses and training, books and books and books on leadership. When the famous management professor Henry Mintzberg, in an interview for Dutch television, was asked, what would you recommend for leadership in the 21st century? He answered, without delay or hesitation, less of it. Now, Zen Enlightenment considers Satori, when everything is at once in the right place, being completely where we are now, in the present, poised, having achieved the correct position from which we are ready to act. Duality is omnipresent in Zen, as is paradox. We are to be everywhere and nowhere. One Zen popularizer has a line in, Wherever you go, there you are. Or as my wife somewhat uncomfortably paraphrases about me, wherever you are, there you go. <laughs> so to get us thinking today, I would like to explore that duality by juxtaposing quotes in four areas of leadership. Vision, popularity, integrity, and power. My first pair of quotations is from an economist and a general. All of the great leaders have had one characteristic in common. It was the willingness to confront unequivocally the major anxiety of the people in their time. This, and not much else, is the essence of leadership. John Kenneth Galbraith. And the other one is, never tell people how to do things. Tell them what to do, and they will surprise you with their ingenuity. General George Patton. Well, a variety of business thinkers promote leadership as a way of cutting through complex trade-offs, a tool, a device. If people follow the leader's example, then they will make decisions appropriate for the organization. This may be true, but criticizing leadership as a tool of limited use is also valid. The leader can't be everywhere. Not all decisions are suited to simple solutions. Some leadership styles may work with the front-facing parts of the organization, for example, projects or sales, but not with perhaps the back-facing, finance or logistics. There's another set of business thinkers who promote culture as a way of calculating these trade-offs. Culture is the way we do things around here. 
I often feel culture could be more accurately defined as the way we decide to do things around here. This means changing the culture by grabbing, changing, and enforcing decisions at all levels, recruitment, procurement, investment, or marketing. For me, the crucial bit of leadership is painting a vision or creating a story. One of the great things I learned in a 1992 study we conducted, Vision into Action, a study of corporate culture, was the importance of the crisis point as a trigger for change. The leader sets the direction, but then puts people's backs against the wall. In line with Galbraith, I heard from 28 senior managers that as a leader, if you don't have a crisis, manufacture one. And this crisis point is both a trigger and a justification. The crisis compels the organization to step towards the vision the leader has painted in line with the story he or she has told. So a crisis, whether real or manufactured, creates uncertainty and fear and seems to allow leaders to lever the cultural boulder, that single inch that gets it moving towards change. Leadership here is evaluated on whether or not it helps you achieve your goals. So as a tool for crises, real or imagined, I'll leave the last word to Patton again. Lead me, follow me, or get out of the way. The next pair of quotations are from a poet and a statesman. Alexander Pope translated the Odyssey of Homer, and there's a lovely line in there. The leader, mingling with the vulgar host, is in the common mass of matter lost. Or Sir Winston Churchill, the nation will find it very hard to look up to the leaders who are keeping their ears to the ground. How often have we heard it's lonely at the top? Does this matter? To some degree, leaders can only lead by being separate. But we do confuse popularity with leadership. Too often the business pages praise a leader when they are really praising a large organization bureaucrat who rose through the ranks. Equally, the business pages invest an entrepreneur with leadership qualities when in reality he or she has created a successful business all too frequently spinning out of control soon, there, soon thereafter. And finally, the leader seems to be the person everyone looks to but that may not be the person with real influence. Take the case of a wildly popular business person with a bit of flair or style. Quiet success and modern leadership seem to contradict one another. A true leader is unlikely to be the most popular person. And further, the pursuit of popularity leads to the demise of leadership. Leadership is not evaluated by popularity and may be less suited to modern times of instant feedback. And I'll leave the last word on popularity to a journalist from the Algonquin Rao table, Herbert Swope. I cannot give you the formula for success, but I can give you the formula for failure, which is try to please everybody. The third aspect of leadership I'd like to touch on in opening is integrity. And I have a pair of quotes here, one from another general, and the second from an evangelist. A true leader has the confidence to stand alone, the courage to make tough decisions, and the compassion to listen to the needs of others. He does not set out to be a leader, but becomes one by the equality of his actions and the integrity of his intent. That's Douglas MacArthur. And uh, John C. Maxwell, somewhat ev evangelic uh, leadership guru, says, people buy into the leader before they buy into the vision. Integrity is often touted as the key element of leadership. 
That doesn't necessarily mean integrity confers other talents. I'm often reminded of Exodus 17. And then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go, go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. And so Joshua did as Moses said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass, when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Was all that mattered that Moses led with integrity, or did Joshua's fighting skills perhaps have some role in winning the day? So to paraphrase a popular saying, if you can fake integrity, you can lead anything. Integrity sounds great, but the case is hard to prove. And let's leave the last word on integrity to a missionary. Example is not the main thing in influencing others. It is the only thing. And that's from Albert Schweitzer. I'd just like to close um, on these four thoughts with power. And here I'd like to draw from a statesman and a poet, John Quincy Adams. If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. But I have often liked uh, Baudelaire, which some of you will think uh, came from a film, but Baudelaire said uh, back in 1864, my dear brothers, never forget, when you hear the progress of enlightenment vaunted, that the devil's best trick is to persuade you that he doesn't exist. So power too is a paradox, perhaps why influence is so often emphasized. The very use of power sometimes removes it. If you have power, I shall give you power, but if you use it, I shall take it away. Or is this a bit like John Mortlock of Cambridge? What you call corruption, I call influence. The very use of influence invokes a scheming to meet an end that can undermine integrity or popularity and render the tool of leadership useless. Perhaps the best and true leaders are those we don't recognize. So some final words, I think, on, uh, on leadership. One from 2,500 years ago, Lao Tzu, to lead people, walk beside them. As for the best leaders, the people do not notice their existence. The next best, the people honor and praise. The next, the people fear. And the next, the people hate. When the best leader's work is done, the people say, we did it ourselves. So, some musings to get us going on vision, popularity, integrity, and power. Today's event will explore leadership from a number of angles, focusing on some recent contributions, which the management literature tends to neglect. And I think of particular interest, given the panel that we have this afternoon, will be assessing the correct balance between public leadership, roles of power in politics, and the, why is this uh, such a limited subject in conventional thinking. And I think we also want to ask ourselves, who would we want to lead us, and should we offer ourselves for, up for such roles? So today's program is going to consist of Liz Mellon, getting up in a, in a minute or two, She's going to be talking about Are Leaders Authentic? Our second address will be by Dr. Douglas Board, Choosing Leaders, the Role of Science, Politics, and Intuition. 
We'll then have a 15-minute break, but it really is just a leg stretcher, and I'd ask you to be back in your seats at 4 o'clock sharp, where we're going to have a panel where uh, Liz and Douglas will be joined by Simon Calkin, uh, called I've Got Power, Now What? Now, you have on your seats a, um, a, a um, program, and I'm not going to read the biographies of the speakers because they're contained at some length in the program itself. I also will do the obligatory book plug. Um, both, both, authors, or sorry, both speakers have produced books recently. Liz is Inside the Leader's Mind. And Douglas, your book is, there we go. And Douglas also has a book on leadership based on his PhD work. So there's some interesting backup to what they say. These aren't sermons delivered. These are actually pieces of research which both of them have conducted, which I think have a lot to offer. So I, I must, I guess, leave the, uh, the last uh, quotation uh, back with Dwight D. Eisenhower. Leadership, the art of getting someone else to do something you want done because he wants to do it. Or is that the art of chairmanship? Liz. For all information, please visit www.gresham.ac.uk.